The bloody and burger rusty should go chaos, must wrap to pandemic A2. Noir ladies and gentlemen, sheriff of Nottingham, stinker redacted and coup. Restaurante Italia, Mortimer Russo, betrayal and house on the hill. Bonanza show manager, corporate America, spike for 10 minutes to kill. With some wages, dumb moon lords of Vegas, time stories, so run into Vegas fun. Hello and welcome to Board of Games, the podcast where we talk about all of the games that can go on your table. I am your host, Lachlan Albert, and I am joined, as always, by the wonderful Jeff Setti. Jeff, brother, it's good to see you. It's good to see you too, Lachlan. How you been? I've been really good. I'll apologize in advance. We have got a little bit of lag tonight, as is sometimes the case. So listeners at home, I want to apologize for that. Hopefully it will be fixed in the audio version of this podcast. But if you want to see us live where we do lag, you can do that at our Facebook page, Board of Games on there, or you can come on over to twitch.tv slash Board of Games podcast and get us with all of the kinks still going, as well as see the beautiful visual cues that I add into the podcast as we go. But Jeff, have you had any opportunities to play games this week? Oh my goodness, have I? What? Uh, As I mentioned last time we were together doing Board of Games, I was about to head off for the Bendigo Indoor Gamer Group, uh, and I did. I went off there uh, on the weekend just gone through Friday, Saturday, and much of Sunday. Uh, look, it was a wonderful event. Uh, for their first ever conference, they did a fantastic job. Pleasingly, as the blood on the, the resident blood on the clock tower storyteller, they got me a lectern. So I didn't need to, wow. to put the grimoire on its own stand. I actually had a proper lectern, which was nice. Um, obviously, Apiary was played, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but I also got a couple of games to scout in. I played one of the games I'm talking about tonight. That's how much I loved it. Um, and generally had a ball. There were people of all ages there. Uh, you know, um, there, were, there were eight-year-olds and 10-year-olds and kids having a great old time playing games, learning games, and being really patient, lovely, and laughing. The nicest thing is I'd walk into the room and hi, Athena, I heard her little giggle reverberating around the room, and it was just delightful. Look, this oh, was uh, this was a magic event, and well done to the uh, Bendigo crew for putting together something so good. Uh, I managed to tick off the boxes on the uh, on the card and got a fifty dollar discount voucher at the the shop there. So, what do you know? I picked up Sidereal Confluence, which I'm hoping to play. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We can, uh, we can. You know what? We're we're gonna see each other in not too long, Jeff. Let's uh, let's let's talk after the podcast. Um, but yeah, I also managed to get <laughs> a uh, a fun event of gaming in over this past weekend. Uh, I had the Vault Games lock in. So I talk about Vault Games a lot on this podcast. It's it's my place. It's my friendly local game store. And since they opened their physical location. Once a year, they do an event called the lock-in, where normally Vault is open until 10 p.m. for playing games. Uh, But at the lock-in, you buy your ticket, and at 10 p.m., all of the regular customers leave, and then they shut the door, and they say, all right, everyone, we're gaming till 6 a.m. And that is just so much fun. Everyone goes a little bit crazy by 6 a.m. because you're trying to stay awake the entire time. Um, yeah, played a ton of enjoyable stuff. You know, occasionally you play some stuff that drags, and I think we're going to talk about that later today. I played a bit of a mm. game of Magic Gathering that went maybe a little longer than I hoped that it would. Um, and that always has an effect on how you feel about one of those big events. 
but I played a couple of the games I'm going to talk about tonight at the lock-in and just had an absolute grand old time. And when you can do those kinds of things, playing for extended periods of time, whether you are friends with the people or they're new friends that you're making through board gaming, it's always so wonderful, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's lovely. Um, I, I made so many new friends. Uh, and caught up with some from BorderCon, which you know how much I love BorderCon. It occurred before we started doing the podcast, but are we talking about it next year? I'm almost certain. Uh, and and the BorderCon family are lovely. And a lot of them were also at the Bendigo Con, which is nice because they're clearly driving around and supporting everything. Pleasingly, uh, I was asked to go up to ShepCon next year and Storytell Blood on the Clock Tower for them. So they're working that out at the moment, as well as MeepleCon, which is late November here in Melbourne. I will be storytelling Blood on the Clock Tower for them as well. So if you go to MeepleCon and you're listening in, come and say hi and uh, and let me storytell some Blood on the Clock Tower, more than just the base script. We're going to get a little adventurous this year. They've asked me to. And um, I've also, there was one, oh yeah, I'll be at the Board Game Barbecue event this weekend. Uh, I know it's another podcast, but you know, who cares? They're they're great guys. So uh, I'll be at the Melbourne Board Game Barbecue uh, event on Saturday. Now, one thing that upsets me, and I think we should- Sorry to interrupt, Jeff. I haven't managed to get to one of the Brisbane Board Game Barbecue events, but I consistently hear they're some of the most enjoyable events around. So big shout out to the boys over at Board Game Barbecue. They're lovely. I'm I'm probably going to learn Spellbound actually, Spellbook, because why not? You know, because they they actually teach it really yeah. well and really quickly. So that's that's kind of what I'll probably do. Um, so I want to I want to just cast a bit of a brick bat, uh, and and you know the, the board games are lovely, and the, the guys I was playing this game with were lovely, but I sat down on the Sunday morning at at, uh, at big to play. One of my favourite games at the moment, if not my favourite game, I've got to say it, Space Space! Yes. It's our favourite new character, Clipping Jeff, where he clips out the microphone so you can't hear him yell Space Bees. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Clipping me a fair bit. But I sat down to play Space Bees and uh, with with these three guys I've met before and really liked them, and it's a a 90-minute game and it took in the vicinity of three and a half hours because of analysis paralysis. Uh, There was a guy who decided, took seven minutes to decide to retrieve his bees. Seven minutes to go, woof. I don't want to do this and I don't want to, and I want to, I should, but I don't want to give Jeff up. And then I don't want to, You can't you analyse that while the game is going around? Can't you do all of that analysis quickly while the game is going around? So I was very frustrated and I think we should discuss the, the and and there's nothing wrong with analysis paralysis. It happens. Part of some games more than others, especially, right? Yeah. Like there are games that really incentivize you to stop and analyze and think about what how many points exactly is this move going to get me versus yeah. this. Move. And Apiary is really not one of those games. It really isn't. You could you can probably tell it's it's a cute, quick, fun, like Stonemire made it to be their 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 fast paced action game. It's not meant to be something that you sit there and you analyse every inch of every decision. These guys were. And as lovely as they are, I don't know if I want to play a game with them again unless it is specifically a scout or a don't get got or, a you know, something that is built to be quick. Uh, and, and I believe you've had similar experiences, Lachlan. Yeah, and look, this this is a game that you can't avoid talking about in the board game space, and it's Magic the Gathering. I quite enjoy a bit of Magic the Gathering. I've got some 
controversial thoughts on Magic the Gathering because I tend to play with a lot of people who play a lot of Commander and to them, to a lot of the people I play board games with, the fact that I even play Commander is wild. And then to Commander hmm. players, the way I look at Magic the Gathering is completely insane. People think I'm broken um, because I, I make these comments about what I think casual play should look like. But that's hmm. a whole other story that you will be able to hear me talk about on another podcast. That's the Into the Vault podcast, which will be released soon. So I'll give you guys a heads up when you can catch me talking about Magic the Gathering more there. But I played a game of Magic with people that I adore. I played with my partner and a very close friend from work and her partner. And we all sat down with uh, the Doctor Who Commander decks, which are decks that I think are really exciting to play and really interesting and very Mm. visually beautiful. Uh, And then the game just took several hours of the lock-in. And part of it was just we didn't manage the kind of game we would be playing effectively enough before we jumped into it. So I think this is something that, and I talked on that Into the Vault podcast about what we call kind of a rule zero or session zero conversation, which is before you start talking about what you're playing, uh, sorry, before you start playing a game, having a conversation about what kind of game you want it to be, what it's going to look like in play, right? And if we'd had that conversation, I think we would have realized that, these two people my partner and I were playing with are less experienced with Magic the Gathering. And the decks that we were putting on the table to use were really quite complicated. And the result Mm. was they weren't up to using those decks. There was a whole lot of text on a whole lot of cards and then a whole (laughs) lot going on the board, which just slowed the game down to a halt. And the way we ended up doing things was uh, my partner and I just attacked each other hyper-aggressively until one of us got knocked out. My partner managed to knock me out. And that meant that I could go around the table and support the other players without it being oh, that's like lovely biased. So, so that yeah, was our way to keep it flowing. Yeah, I think that's really nice. Um, I, I don't mind if it's like, like little Athena came and played Scout with us on the first night. And like she was constantly asking for help. But of course, she's a 10-year-old child. No one is going to get angry at a child asking for help for a game of Scout. And I don't even mind if it's if it's like something like the search for Planet X and it comes down to the last turn and the planet's already been discovered and, you you know, that last person takes a bit longer than they yeah. would because they're trying to deduce what's going on. That's fine too. I don't even mind if, if, if a, a day or two in Blood on the Clock Tower takes a while. But for a game as simple as Apiary, where you only have about six options, you work out your options as the game is going around, yeah. you know. Even yeah, that last definitely. turn in Flame There's a couple of things that happen with timing, right? There's a couple of factors. One is that uh, you want people to be looking at the game state when they can work out what their moves will be, rather than Mm. when it's stopped and they have to do their move, right? So this is general advice for all games. And some games, it's not going to work, right? Some games, things change so much on any player's turn that you can Mm -hmm. only really assess on your turn. And that Mm. makes it difficult. But most of the time, you should be able to come into a turn with an idea of what you're going to do. At the very least, an inkling, right? And then the other thing is knowing what kind of games work for you as a gamer and not putting yourself in a situation where you are going to extend out a game. Or the more difficult thing that I've found is if you know someone else isn't at the level of a game you're about to play, being able to kindly recommend that maybe this isn't the game for them. 
right? Yeah. So, like, I love the idea of having Athena as a 10-year-old playing a game of Scout. This is years back now, but uh, I played a game with a little tacker of about 12 uh, who joined in our game of Kemet. And I don't think he was quite ready for a game of Kemet that was probably going to go two-ish hours either way. Um, but the game ended up going for four and a half, closer to five. And that's where it starts to get to the point of, it's a complex game. And it ta- it's difficult to work out what a good move is sometimes. Yeah, I've But at the same you. time, uh, it it's a great game, but there should have been, and I take responsibility for this, I should have come up with a way to say, hey, mate, I really appreciate that you want to play with us. I am more than happy to, you know, teach you some bigger games. I don't know if this is one you're ready to jump into quite yet. Absolutely. And, and you know, I've, I've had that conversation with people where I've walked up to Mike, who was one, one of the, he's now left Board Game Barbecue, but he and I, oh, yeah, I, I, I will read that out. That's from uh, my good friend Paul. I uh, just chipped in and said, you're an awesome inspiration to everyone at Blood on a Cocktail in Melbourne. Thanks. Uh, glad to have, have friend, be friends with you, buddy. Thanks for everything. Paul, that's lovely of you to say, mate, and I hope to see you really soon. Um, but, you know, I walked up to Mike at one point, I think it was during BorderCon, and I went, oh, what's this? And he went, oh, we're playing. I can't remember the game. He said, but we're playing this. I said, what's it like? And he said, it's this and this. And I sat down for the instructions, and I went, you know what? It's nine o'clock on a Sunday morning. I'm not up for this right now. I would be up for this at six o'clock tonight after I've had a good meal and, you know, done X, Y, and Z. But right now it's nine in the morning. I want something light, flippant, fast, fun, Flamecraft, Apiary, Scout, you know, a bunch of other games that that I own that are just silly and fun. I wouldn't play a Wonderlands War at at nine in the morning either. I wouldn't play... Um, hegemony at nine in the morning. You know, there is a certain game that you don't want to play at nine in the morning. Others Absolutely. do. And I respect that. But why don't we talk about some new games we've played now? Well, yeah, yeah. So we'll talk about some... Um, we'll talk about new games. Now, so Jeff, the <laughs> you mentioned... Yeah, click and it just wasn't happening. Jeff, you <laughs> mentioned the game a couple of times there. That And it's a game I love. So I want you to talk about it. Can you tell us about Scout? Scout is a delightful game. It's a card game. It's really, really, really easy. Uh, if you're watching, you can see that cards have two numbers, one at the top and one at the bottom. You get dealt a hand of cards. Now, you can hold your cards up one way or flip them over and hold them up the other. You cannot reorganize your cards. So the strategy is to get rid of cards in the middle to give you decent runs. And gosh, is it fun. Um, the, around the table, depending on how many you're playing with, a player can scout the card out and give you a point. The next player can not scout. If you're playing a three-player game uh, and two of them scout, you win the hand. But the other one can scout and show once per round, leaving one card sitting there. And as the cards are diminished, you have to beat less and less. Uh, matching numbers beat runs of cards. So it's a bit like gin rummy, but matching numbers beat runs. And and honestly, it's a delight. And you play as many hands as people are sitting around the table. So if you've got four people around the table, you'll play four, five, you'll play five, and so on. Often during the game, cards are eliminated depending on how many players there, there are. Four is obviously the ideal number because only one card is eliminated. Otherwise, 
you, you're searching through the deck to eliminate them. But it's fast, it's furious, it's fun. It's a 20-minute game. You're in, you're out quickly. And it, it, its replayability is really high because it, it's about cards. It's about cards in your hand. The circus theme is pervasive through the whole thing. You've got jugglers, you've got clowns. Everyone has a name. Every card has a name. Every card. And it's just sweet and fun. And honestly, um, we played on Friday, we played Apiary. And then Mike said to me, oh, what do you want to do now? And, and Friday night, obviously, in Bendigo was a slightly smaller crowd than you'd get over the weekend. Because a lot of people from from Melbourne and other cities come down on the weekend. And I said, you know, I wouldn't mind playing a game of Scout. And I went and grabbed Scout. We shuffled up and we played three games of Scout back to back. Because <laughs> initially uh, Nathan joined us. So, uh, no, sorry, Luke joined us and Luke was sitting with us and we played we played with Luke. And then a little Athena came along and joined us and we played with Athena. And it was just that kind of relaxed, lovely Easy to play, short, people could walk away and do something, come back, no one cared, and really nice way to, to ease into a, a conference. What, what yeah. about, obviously, you've played I, it. I love a bit of Scout. I haven't played it as much as I'd like, but the thing that blew me away about it is for a game that's so difficult to explain exactly what's happening, once you start playing it, it just works. It 100% mm. works. It, immediately, you can see what's going on. This idea of like playing sets and runs to the table, but then you can take cards off sets and runs that are already on the table to add to yours. But the cards that have two values, so you've got yeah. options there. You can put the card in one way or the other. You've got the choice. You don't need to put it in the way you pick it up. It's brilliant. Yeah, but such a fantastic. You can, you can only take from the sides. So if someone's put down four cards, you've got only got two options. You don't have four. I, I love it. And the fact that it comes in the the tiny little um, Oink Games box is yep. just insane. Like for yep. the amount of game you get in that size of box, it's just unreal. My now, only my only complaint with with Scout is that there's no autonomous. There's no single player version. Oh yeah, that would be particularly wild. Um, but I've got another game that doesn't have an automa, no single player. This one is two player only. And this one, man, you want to talk intimidating when you look at a game and you go, oh my goodness, how's that going to play? This is Watergate. Watergate is a two player only, I guess it's a card driven war game, technically, right? And the setting is that one player plays a newspaper editor trying to expose the Watergate scandal, while the other player plays the Nixon administration trying to get Nixon through his term without resigning. This game, I taught this to my partner on a recommendation from a friend who said it was their favorite two-player game. And it was apprehensive because as you might, as you're able to see if you're watching this, it does have very war game style cards it's a yeah. card driven game where every card has a whole bunch of text it's got an old black and white picture of something relevant from the nixon administration it's got a number and a color and a disc in the top left of every card and then a huge amount of text really this game's so simple on your turn you will have either five or four cards in your hand depending on which player has the initiative you play a card you either do what the card says or in the top left, it tells you how many spaces in a little tug of war you can pull a token. You start pulling the tokens back and forth, use the events to pull the tokens back and forth, and then at the end of each round, after nine cards have been played, five from one player, four from the other, 
you find out who tug of ward the tokens mostly on their side and then they get to place those tokens those tokens go on a the old cork board with the red string between everything and if you can if the uh editor of the newspaper can get that red string to connect any two sources to nixon in the middle of the cork board they win if yeah. nixon survive without that happening until the end of his term uh, till the end of his presidential term nixon wins this is such yeah, a the little game where there's so much decision making on every play that's really interesting like i'm i'm not a huge politics person you know i i did love the movie frost nixon i know that's kind of relevant here it's a brilliant film but this seems to be more about the game than the history Absolutely. which 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 i i think sounds fantastic uh, and every and, so often yeah, I, there's, you know, quotes on the bottom of the cards and every so often I would read a quote on the bottom of the card and go, oh, that's a great quote. And then I would totally forget about whoever was on the card and be looking at the crazy event text that it does. But going, oh, but if mm -hmm. I play it for the event, then it doesn't reshuffle when I shuffle my deck. And uh... See, now you're a school teacher as well. Yes. So this would have a bit of interest for you as a history lesson. You know, not yeah, just absolutely. A, and it's, I know you're I know you're a special needs school teacher and, and it's probably a little different, but this is one of those things where the integration of theme is so interesting in what it does that it makes you want to learn about the subject, is what I found. Which yeah. was even though I was so engrossed in the game, at the end of it, I'm like, okay, who was this person? Because there was a really neat quote on their card, and I want to find out like what. And the little bits that I did know about Watergate were so vibrant in the way that they came through. So one of the things that uh, the Nixon administration's cards can do is put informants on the board face down. You've got their loyalty. They're not going to snitch on you. Now they're someone who can't be connected to, you know, the, the scandal. And one of the editor cards is Deep Throat, you know, the very famous anonymous yeah. uh, informant. And the Deep Throat card moves a bunch of stuff on that tug of war track, but it also gets rid of one of those face down informant tokens as Deep Throat lets you know, hey, maybe you should look into that guy. Yeah, that sounds um, amazing. Yeah, I, I was massively impressed with this. I was so intimidated because it looks like, you know, a little war game, but really it is just a back and forth, simple card play. I was really, really impressed by Watergate. Yeah, I, look, um, I would definitely uh, definitely be receptive to sitting and giving that a shot and, and yeah, giving and, that a play. And the fact that it plays in like 90, like an hour really for what yeah. feels like a beefy two-player game. Absolutely incredible. And look, the theme for this is a little bit old, but that can lead us into our next segment. Yes, old games. Jeff, have you played something that's a bit less fresh? Yeah, I have, and I really enjoyed this. I played this yesterday morning with Ben, who was actually the guy who invited me to uh, Bendigo. Uh, ben uh, has two young children, and one of them, at six, as he told me, he was six, came and joined us and played Formula D. Uh, the name sounds a little bit like it's going to be a dirtier game than it actually is. This is a <laughs> lovely game. It's a racing game. 
where the mechanic is, uh, can you keep the image up for a bit? You get points for each of your car parts. And on the left, you can see, so that's on the right of the character card, which is the top left if you're watching us. On the uh, left-hand side, you can see your gears. So your gears change up and down. Now, as you're entering, uh, as you're entering, I'm not going to read that out. As you're entering um, the, uh, the, like, corners and things, you need to stop a certain amount of time. So you change gears down. And then as you're entering straights, you put your gears back up. If you want to go up one gear, everyone can do that once a turn. But if you go up twice, you start taking points off your gearbox because you're pushing your gearbox too hard. So it's got a sense of logic to it. And then um, it's a quick game because, of course, drivers spin out. If you don't hit the corners, if you don't hit the corners uh, twice, stopping twice or however many times it's enunciated on the board, you lose points off your car taking damage because you're pushing it too far. Uh, every driver has a special ability, of course, and, um, and you push your luck and it can take between 30 minutes and 45 because drivers eliminate themselves and the last two left bite to the end and whoever wins, wins, and the other one second. That's it. That's the game. It's simple. It's beautiful. The dice, uh, as you increase your gears, the dice change, so you push your luck that way as well. It's just a colourful, lovely family game that I really enjoyed. I'm, I'm actually looking to get this one. Yeah, I think that this is kind of a classic of the racing genre, right? There's not yeah. a whole lot of games that make racing feel like racing, but this mm. is always one that's done it. Um, I can't remember if I've talked about Heat Pedal to the Metal on the podcast yet. I really uh, want to play it. I've actually, a friend of mine's getting it for me because it's difficult to get here. Yeah, that game is another one that is absolutely excellent at simulating that feeling of intense racing. Um, yeah. This, I, I think that one of the big things about racing is risk and reward, right? That's that's a big idea is you need to push yourself, otherwise you're not going to win. But if you push yourself, you might crash. Mm. That's kind of the central feeling that I think Formula D really gives in the way those gears work and rolling those big dice when there's a corner coming up is terrifying um i, I will say I, I will say also that um someone at bendigo had heat but i didn't know who i didn't track him down to teach me uh apparently there was one game played over the three days but i think i was busy storytelling at that time uh but yeah I, make sure look, you get I, a game of heat jeff don't worry i'm sure we will i'm sure we will i look forward to i know what i'll be doing all day saturday what <laughs> <laughs> um but well, i thought that uh formula d was great just a lovely game, a really ideal game for the family as well. Not too complex so kids don't get it. Kids will pick it up really easily. Um, and every we, – we really enjoyed the – I think it was about an hour that we wound up playing it. We, or we were all smiling and laughing and having a great time. Um, so, yeah, strongly right. recommend Formula D. I'm also going to talk about an older game that simulates uh, Formula One racing that I also played yesterday morning. <laughs> but in a far different way. This is a game called Pitch Car. We played this at 2 a.m. on Sunday morning as part of the lock-in. We played an eight-player game with a ton of extra pieces in it. And my goodness, this is one of the funniest games you can ever play. I know <laughs> that when we did that funny game draft, it wasn't on there. It maybe should have been because the game doesn't seem that funny. It's a dexterity game. There's a wooden racetrack. 
you got a little wooden disc that's your car and you flick the car to get it to go around the racetrack. And the rules are, or at least the rules we play with, are if your car ends up off the track, then you put it back where it started before you flicked it and you turned over. If your car ends up upside down, you put it back where it was before you flicked it and you turned over. Those are the rules. First player to cross the finish line wins. If your car bumps another car, that other car, if it is still on the track right side up, you pushed it forward. If it's not, it goes back where it went. You go around until someone crosses the finish line and then you start adding jumps and loop-de-loops to it and people are just cacking themselves. You know, we were clapping for each other and chanting each other's name and booing each other and what an absolute delight pitch car. That does sound lovely. Uh, Can you flick more than once or is it one flick per turn? One flick per turn. So that's the thing about this game. It moves at a pace. Even when you're eight players, you take your turn, you watch seven other people go like this, and then it's your turn again. Like, there's no time that passes at all, and yet you get to watch people try and fail to go over that loop so many times, and you cannot Mm. stop laughing. Um, Oh, you'd have to give that a good flick, but not too much, because you'll go off the track or drop upside down, so you have to start back. Mm -hmm. It's just fantastic. That sounds... Yeah. That sounds hilarious and would be really good after I take my little medicine every night. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think Formula D, uh, sorry, Pitch Car, I don't know how hard it is to get these days, but I am currently in search of a copy. So if anyone knows where to get a copy of Pitch Car, let me know. I'm actually considering having one made. That's how much I enjoyed it. Wow. But considering getting a hold of games. Crowdfunding. Love my little box. (laughs) for that Uh, i've actually got three crowdfunding games to talk about on top of your two today jeff just because i felt like the the field at the moment is so strong that i didn't want to not mention a couple of these so i'm gonna fire away if you don't mind and i'm gonna fire away with a huge Mm. announcement kickstarter this is dice throne x-men marvel missions co-op and deadpool if you don't know dice throne It is basically what would happen if Magic the Gathering and Yahtzee had a baby. You roll dice and re-roll and re-roll and use the result on your character to do special attacks to try and knock out your opponent. Bing, bang, boom. Simple, goofy, dice-chucking, two-player battling game. They recently had huge success by getting the Marvel license and releasing Marvel Dice Throne. Now, here come the X-Men and Deadpool, and not only that, it's a little expensive, but if you're already bought into Dice Throne, you can now turn it into a cooperative game and play it against uh, AI of some of the biggest, baddest villains in the Marvel Universe. I I go back and forth on Dice Throne. It's something that I really, really enjoy, but personally, I haven't jumped in yet, and it feels like one of those games where you want to be all in. If you're going to play it, you're going to play it. It's one of those games that you get out often because it is a two-player game. You want to have another person that you play with fairly regularly. And because it comes with a ton of beautiful custom dice, it's not necessarily the cheapest game in the world. But the game you do get out of it is really, really interesting. And I'll be interested to see what the co-op version of this looks like in play. That's Dice Throne, X-Men, Marvel Missions Co-op, and Deadpool on Kickstarter. See, I'm not into Dice Throne, much like Magic, The Gathering, and Warhammer. I've gone, 
No, you're going to become an addict. Don't go there. Do not go there, Jeff. The thing that I so, will say about Dice Throne is that there's no randomization. If if you want a thing, you know the box that it's in and you get that box, right? You don't have to mm. go out and start collecting a billion bits, but it's hard to resist. It's a problem that I've had with games like mm -hmm. Unmatched. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, look, I, I, I still would uh, restrain myself, I think. I, I yeah, think I'd absolutely. What have you found uh, to look at, Jeff? I found, I found a very cute game. And uh, I think what we're seeing now, and I'm sure you're going to agree with me, are um, what I will call flamecraft games, games that are so inspired by not only the success but also the joy and the look and feel of flamecraft that people are going, oh, yeah, let's let's design a flamecraft light. Well, let's design something that's like flamecraft. And the first game I'm looking at today is definitely influenced by that. A mysterious island full of creatures have been discovered as an animal enthusiast. You are about to embark on a journey to connect these various creatures with and ultimately create the best reserve in the world. It's called Wondrous Creatures by Bad Comet. Look, this looks so cute. Even the little wooden dragon driving things. Oh, it looks wonderful. Uh, it's an innovative worker placement game because you occupy two hex and then um, the location of your workers becomes difficult and more puzzling. But then you, you choose whether you would like to obtain a resource or a creature. And, of course, the more resources you have, the better the creatures you can buy and the map evolves and changes and the butterfly changes things. Uh, your butterflies um, want to, like, just a randomizer that, that fly, flies around. You upgrade your workers. Look, it... it it's a tableau builder. It's a worker placement game. It, it, it's going to be delightful. It's just going to be fun. The fact that you've got those meeples that ride on other meeples is just phenomenal. Like, such a, a little touch that is going to make a game yeah. so cute and so interactive. They didn't need to do it like that, I'm... but the fact that they did makes it so much mm. nicer. And, and the fact is that, you know, the top tier is about $130 Australia. And it's shipping from South Korea, so it's not going to be as expensive as other shipments. So I think you'll have a delightful game for about 170 bucks. So I'm 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 personally going to go in on this one because I think it looks terrific. Yeah. Speaking of ones that should be fairly affordable, another Kickstarter here. This one is a double up. Uh, it's my favorite things and the String Railway Collection. So this is technically three games going on here. I'll start by talking about the String Railway co Collection because this is technically two games in one box. You understand what you do in the game by the name of the game. It's called String Railway. There's little <laughs> tiles, a table, and you connect them with strings that are railways. And then you move stuff around your railways. and But you use string. Everyone gets a really long string and also a bunch of short strings. And then you put the strings on the board. And because this is the, the collection, it's got crazy stuff like a really long blue string that's a river and a bit of cardboard that goes over the blue string that is a bridge, right? Really mind-blowing mm. stuff. And immediately see how tactile and fun this would be to play. <clears throat> the other one here is actually the one that excites me more, which is my favorite things. This is a game that has gotten a lot of buzz from a lot of people who who's have opinions that I really respect on board games. And so I desperately want to try this. It's a trick-taking game, but it's also a party game. Really simple trick-taking game where you're just trying to play the highest number. But if someone plays a one, 
then you actually want to play if someone yeah a one is like the best there's one through five you want to play the highest you can but if someone plays the one the top card you want to play the zero the bad card because that will win if someone else has played a one really simple game the twist is that you're not playing numbers from your hand you don't know what numbers are in your hand instead you've got a bunch of words because at the start of the game everyone gets given a category and then they have to make six cards for that category they have to rank their five favorite things and also write their least favorite thing to be the zero. And those are the cards that go into the game. So you might get pizza toppings as a category. And you're like, all right, pepperoni is one, meat lovers is two, cheese, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm going to put anchovies on the dud card. And then you shuffle them up and they go into the deck. And then someone's got that card in their hand and they need to play to try and win this trick. And they're looking at me and they're going, how does Lachlan feel about Meat Lovers? Is Meat Lovers mm. his favorite? Is this a one? I think it's probably a one, right? Oh, so I it, know this. Yeah. Yeah. The, it's the a lot like, of, I can't remember the name of the game, but it's a lot like another game where you've got five categories and people order them depending on your opinion. Yeah. I can't remember the game you're thinking of, but I know the one you mean. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the idea that, you know, you've got a handful of random stuff because Jeff mm. has had to rank his favorite wizards and I've had to rank my favorite soft drinks and Stacy's had to rank her favorite TV shows. And so now you've got to work out what's better to play. You know, is it uh, Doctor Who or Dumbledore? Because you know that one of them is probably near the top. Who's, right? who's Dumbledore? Yeah, exactly. Thanks, Jeff. Um, oh, so... <laughs> Yeah, I think that it's such a goofy concept for a simple, funny little game that I'm desperate to try my favorite things. And that's on Kickstarter. My favorite things and the String, Wa the string Railway collection in a single Kickstarter. Honestly, they sound great. It's, it seems like we're doing really, really well on Kickstarters this year. And, and I know I've backed yeah. way too many. And luckily, some of mine from when I first started loving games, so about two and a half years ago, are finally arriving. So Burn Cycle arrived last mm. week and i believe that's excellent um and uh you know um this the crew which is uh, the score sorry which is a little australian small box game that i still haven't been able to play but i must take with me next time I've i go somewhere things. you know I, all these little kickstarter games are great the next one i'm going to talk about it's not little uh, but it does look fun and i got you know the racing thing kind of bit me over the weekend and this looks great uh this is Formula GP because, of course, it is. And what I like about this is you make up the track. So it's on GameFound, so please don't go looking on Kickstarter for it. But you and your other players make up the track. There are 68 track tiles. There's a safety car lane. There's a podium pit. There's a pit lane. There's a finish line. So it really does capture the Grand Prix experience. It's not just a racing game. And um, throughout the game, it's a bit of a push you like. It's a bit of a trick taker. Uh, and it's a high-level risk game. And, look, it looks so much fun. Uh, it's influenced by weather. So there are weather forecast cards. There are event cards um, and information cards. And, of course, you're still going to roll your dice to change gears. Um, you know, you've got bumper-to-bumper -to -bumper tokens. So, look, this just sounds terrific. There are battles. So there are battle cards as well. Uh, it doesn't look like a big plastic game with lots of stuff. It looks very cardboard driven. So, you know, I think, I think I'm going to give this one a shot as well. 
yeah, that that looks really exciting. I don't know if it's because I've got heat. I don't know if it's enough to make me want to have another racing game, but it's very tempting. It looks really good. Yeah. Um, jumping off what you said before, though, Jeff, yeah, to does. put one it final does. Kickstarter up here, uh, we were talking about Flamecraft likes, and the one way to make sure that a game looks and feels like Flamecraft is for it to be by Cardboard Alchemy, who is the team who did uh, Flamecraft and have the same artists and designers on board. So that's what they've gone and done. This is Critter Kitchen. Uh, oh. If you like Flamecraft, oh. you know, get in on it immediately, I think is is the go here. It's incredibly cute. You play as a bunch of animals running a restaurant, and it's a worker placement game. You place your workers out to get different ingredients but you've got different workers of different species. So your mice can go really quick and nab something from a location before anyone else can get to it, but they can only carry one ingredient. Whereas the boar is going to be really slow. He's going to take a while to get there. But if there's stuff left when he gets there, he's just going to grab three of it in his big burly arms and carry it back. Love the clever little mechanics like this. It is absolutely gorgeous. So dead cute. And the idea of... You know, you've got to sell meals to the public. And also uh, there's restaurateurs who are coming and food critics that you've got to impress. And if you're willing to go for that deluxe edition, which look, it's not cheap. It's about 125 Australian dollars, I think. But for the kind of game that this is, especially when you add in the fact that it has game trays as the insert that convert into storage during gameplay, that's one of my favorite things. If you've heard me talk about one of my absolute babies that is the game Dwellings of Eldervale, you will know exactly how much I love that in a game. Um, so Critic Kitchen feels like an immediate win to me. Now, unfortunately, Jeff has just dropped out. He'll be rejoining us in a moment, which we're going to use. And look, he's back already. He didn't take now, that long. Sorry, I dropped out when you said if you're going for the deluxe edition. Uh, what were you about to say there? Game trays. Game trays oh. that worked for storage and for gameplay. I'll be back in Critter Kitchen. Very yeah. Quickly. Have you hundred? Uh, I am going to after this podcast ends. And 126 <laughs> bucks for a deluxe edition of a game like this. That's not that bad. It's yeah. really, it's really fairly affordable for what you're going to well, get. I mean, you get Minecraft for about 60 to 80. So a deluxe version... And I paid extra for all the extra components, which cost me a heck of a lot to ship. Mm -hmm, I can imagine. But I if you're looking at the deluxe version of this, you're also getting things like screen printed meeples, which have all the different animals on them that are going oh, to be yeah. running around the board. Like Hello, deluxe yeah. version. Now, because you were asking me about the Flamecraft coins. So, uh, you know. It was a lot more expensive than that. So for 126 bucks for the deluxe version, shut up and take oh, the exactly. money. So beautiful. You know what? Yeah. I like beautiful games. It's time to drop. That's right. This evening we are drafting beautiful board games. Board games that visually stun on the table. Stuff that you just can't get enough of looking at. Jeff, take it away. What's your first pick for a beautiful game? Uh, I just I just have to look that up. I know you've done the graphic and uh, in in why don't uh, I just pop shutting the graphic down up so for you. quickly? You might as well. My number three is Everdell, and I acknowledge it's more cute than beautiful, but it is quite pretty. Like the cards are all well, the graphics are beautiful. 
Uh, it, you know, you're sending cute little creatures out to go and do work for you and get goods and be down the mine and you become a tyrant and then no. Uh, but this is this is lovely. It, it 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 is a fun game to play. It's a warm game to play. And much like the the other games I'll be talking about, winning and losing isn't the point. The point is just to go, oh, that's lovely. <laughs> And and I did this with Everdell. Have you played Everdell? I've played Everdell once, and I'm desperate to get it to the table again. I really want to give it another whirl. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Again, I that's think what it we'll snuck up on me exactly how Everdell works. Like the first time mm. you play it, you expect it to be one thing, and then the limits of the board quickly show themselves. So I think it's it's so a really interesting appealing. asymmetric game. It really, really is. It's just beautiful. I, I love and, it. What's the, your, fact uh, that it, what's your the fact that the board is also a big giant cardboard tree does not hurt yeah. with how visually appealing it no. is. Um, my number three is a little bit smaller, but this is one of my favorite looking games ever. I, I actually didn't order mine, so this actually might be my favorite game in terms of how it is to look at. Uh, and mm -hmm. this is Parks. I don't know if you've oh. played Parks, Jeff. Parks is a very simple game. It uses the, uh, we, we all still call it the Takedo mechanism of whoever is furthest back gets to move as far as they like. Mm -hmm. And the aim of the game is to travel around the national parks of the US and take some nice photos and have some nice hikes and just have good experiences. And whoever <laughs> kind of had the widest range of experiences at the end and have got, have got like the most photos of beautiful places and had the most encounters with wildlife, they're going to win the game. And it's lovely. It sounds like it sounds like Takedo anyway. Let's be honest. It's, yes, it very much does. It's Takedo in a small box. But the thing <laughs> that I love about this game and what Keymaster Games did with it is this was an art first project. So the same yeah. that is said about games like Scythe, where the art mm. inspired the game. The way this game got its art is not from having an artist make art for the game. There's a series called 59 Parks, which I believe, uh, I, I can't remember if it was one person or a series of people, but for the National Parks of the US, a series of absolutely stunning postcards and prints were commissioned all in these very beautiful, uh, clean-cut artistic styles. There's a huge mm. variation in what they look like, but they are all just gorgeous in their own way. And if you can, if you're watching this podcast live, either on Facebook at Board of Games or at twitch.tv slash board of games podcast you can see the cover of this game and that is one of the like 60 different pieces of national park artwork that's in this game again i i walked past a couple of people playing it on the weekend and i kind of went parks i really want to play that it, it's uh, good but, a simple game but good as much because it seems tranquil and lovely oh, it's, it's so calm to play yeah yeah uh now, speaking as we have a couple of times, yeah, I knew what it was, as we have a couple of times uh, about this game, I, I, this is one of those where they found the artist and then built the game around Sandra Tang's art. This is, of course, the the wonderful flame craft. It's cute. It's, I, I don't know if it's beautiful, but it's so cute. It's the kind of oh, game this where is beautiful. Every, every move you... Well, the board certainly is. It's a neoprene board that you roll out. And it's got everything you need on there. Really, uh, you know, you don't have individual player boards and things like that. It's 
it's a bit of a deck builder. It's a bit of a resource gatherer, but it's also a bit of a, oh, my God, look at that. That's so cute. <laughs> you know, and your voice gets higher and you start squeaking. Look, I thought this, I I still to this day love Flamecraft. A couple of uh, a couple of people asked me about it on the weekend and I said, I, I started explaining how the game is played and how it works. And they said, do you think adults would like it or is it just for kids? I said, adults love it. I said, you, you know adults pushing their kids out of the way to play it. It's not a kid's oh, yeah. game. It's, it's, but, yeah, just beautiful. I got a game of this in at the lock-in over the weekend as well. And one of the things that I think is just goes to show the way the art and the design were both so considered in this game is that all the dragons of the same color do the same thing. If you've got mm. a yellow dragon, it draws you a dragon card. Full stop. Mm. If you've got a dark blue dragon, it gets you two resources at the location you're at. That's what it yep. does. But that doesn't mean that all the art has to be the same. And every one of those cards is a unique dragon with a unique name that you're going to draw from the deck and go, oh, it's so cute and its name matches what it's... Ah! Mm. And it didn't need to. But clearly, Sandra Tang's art is the star of the show here, and Manny Vega did an awesome job of designing a really good game that highlights that high-quality art, and the locations as well oh, are just God. fantastic. All right, oh, I'm going to go God, with yeah. another I, I, kind of beautiful. Sorry, did you have something there, Jeff? I was, I was going to say, I, like, even now I look forward to playing it again. Simple. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, another kind of beautiful here, not so cute. This one, a bit more abstract, and this is Azul. So my second pick, Azul, is a yes. tile placement game with tiles that look absolutely delicious. Don't get me started on the Master Chocolatier version, just scrumptious looking. But the way Azul works is it's a really simple abstract game. You pull tiles from the middle of the table and place them on different sections of your board, which let them go into a grid, and the more of the grid you fill, the more points you will score. You're trying to score rows and columns, makes it worth more points. But also, you're trying to uh, make your opponents take tiles that they don't want, because then they fall to the floor and break. This is a game that's specifically about, I believe, Portuguese tiling in churches, or something along those lines. Um, and so taking those visual inspirations and having these really vibrant blues and oranges on whites make something that whenever anyone walks past it, immediately they know that it's Azul if they know Azul. And if they don't know Azul, they go, ooh, what's that? Because it is just mm. such a, it's so meaty to the eye. I know that's a weird way to put it, but it just looks so engaging. You, you can't help but stare at Azul. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that it's it, – and, and the gameplay is simple. It's not a complex game to learn. Uh, and and there's something about the games that go for pretty and almost a style over a substance where they are simple to learn and often they're very good because they don't try and overcomplicate things. Exactly. All right, what have you got for us, Jeff? I've also got a really – okay, number one, it's probably the uh, the window, the dice roll cousin and the dice placement game, uh, cousin of Azul, and that, of course, is the Magnificent Sagrada. Uh, it is based on uh, church windows and, and church glass uh, glass windows throughout uh, the world. It's one of it's, it's an exceptionally popular game. There have been, I think, 57 spinoffs. Uh, <laughs> it feels yep. about that number. And it is, it is just a beautiful... 
you roll colored dice you've got a you've got certain requirements to meet you place your dice in the window and it just looks beautiful it just looks so so pretty it's it, it, sometimes even in a less immediately visually appealing look once the window's complete you kind of step back from it and go Oh, that looks really nice. I oh, love yeah. Sagrada. I love playing Sagrada. I've got the mobile version, and I love the mobile version as well. And I think this is just such a pretty game. Yeah, absolutely a stunner. And I've got one more. My last one is a little bit darker than some of the ones we've talked about. And uh, mm. like Parks, this is one with a lot of individual pieces of art where I, I – this one more so, I do like the art that's on all of the components, but then those showcase art pieces on the cards are undeniably gorgeous. This one is Mysterium. Mysterium is a game that is all about the art because one player plays as a ghost trying to communicate objects, uh, communicate uh, concepts, whether they're people or weapons or places to other players using those players' dreams, which means they're going to give these surreal pieces of art that are supposed to represent a dream which means that this game essentially is just a box full of beautiful dark surrealist art and mm. it every time there's a new piece of art that i get dealt and i've played this game a lot of times i mean like i've played this a lot of times and yet somehow every game i end up staring at a card going wow that is really beautiful that particular card and it'll be, mm. you know, a tiny little mouse with a pin sword on top of a mushroom. Or it'll be, you know, a chair balancing on one leg on top of a giant ball. You know, it'll it'll be something bizarre, but you go, ooh, wow. And All of the D put it exactly right. Friend of the show, All of the D says, do you think Mysterium is the result of someone playing Cluedo with a Dixit box? That's exactly what it is. It's literally, hey, if you like Dixit, what if we've stuck Cluedo onto it? Um, mm. I think that it, it takes Dixit away from being a party game while making kind of the the deduction elements of Cluedo much more interesting. So much more yeah. interesting. I, I'm, I'm going to have to give that one a look. You mentioned it uh, last last time, I think, when we looked at horror games all the time before that. No, Have last you not time played Mysterium? Was, yeah, I've never played Mysterium, and I have Whoa. to. Whoa! Uh, I forgot to send you my honourable mention. My honourable mention is probably a little bit along similar lines of Mysterium in that you, you keep uncovering art you've never seen and it's the often imitated and many, many editions, languages all over the world, of modern art because, of course, it is. Yep. It's a beautiful-looking game. It really is. The gavel. Oh, I got a game of modern art in at the lock-in. What an absolute stunner of a game, um, especially is. with the way that if you've got the Simon edition, the newest one, the rule book is like 20 pages long. The first four hmm. pages are rules. The rest is an analysis of the art and the history of the artists involved. Like oh, that's that's wonderful. just fantastic. I, I'm really, really impressed by that game. Uh, I also have an honourable mention, and this is to get me out of trouble for everyone who listens to the From the Vault podcast. It's Magic the Gathering. The reason I'm mentioning Magic the Gathering here is that I don't necessarily think all of the art of Magic the Gathering is beautiful, and the card design of Magic the Gathering is not always generally the most beautiful but in mm. every magic the gathering set you will be able to find a piece of art that you find really really gorgeous and you can see here this is just 
uh, a sample of some of the card frames that have come out, some of the special treatments of cards that have come out in the last dozen or so sets. And you can see just how vibrant and I, I guess varied is the word I'm looking for, how varied these cards can look. Uh, one on there is uh, from the Dungeons & Dragons set that looks like a sketch of a creature from an old, you know, creature handbook, while Streets of New Capenna had these art deco cards that had really solid blocky colours, and then there was one recently that had almost all black and white art in their showcase frames. It's not going to hit every time, but when the art in Magic the Gathering hits, it hits hard. So I do want to give an honourable mention. To that, so, I can only say that's nice because I'm resisting the urge to go and buy 3,000 Magic the Gathering packs now. <laughs> we'll find some nice ones for you, Jeff. Uh, so that is our draft there. Jeff's picks were Everdell, Flamecraft, and Sagrada, while my picks were Parks, Azul, and Mysterium. Look, I there are so many beautiful games out there. If you want to get your hands on a particularly beautiful game, there's one place to do it. You head on over to vaultgames.com.au slash Podcast. You'll be able to find most of the games we talked about today. And if not, Sometimes the lovely people at Vault Games can organize ordering games in for you. So feel free to give them a call, especially if you're here in Australia, because like I always say, they are my friendly local game store and I cannot recommend them highly enough. Now, I just want to mention once again, I'll be at the Board Game Barbecue on Saturday this week, which is the 5th. Am I right there? 4th or 5th? Let's just see. Sorry, everybody. Uh, the 4th. The 4th of November, I'll be there. And then at the end of the month, which I think is the 25th, 26th, and 27th of November. Uh, sorry, 27, 28, 29 of November. I will be at MeepleCon Storytelling some Blood on the Clock Tower. I know those guys have a lot of great things planned. So it's well worth your $50 to go and play some great board games with lovely people. Fantastic. If you're in the Brisbane area, I know that Go Play will be starting up soon. I believe you can register for events now. Don't have the dates for that off the top of my head. What I do have the dates for is if you thought the Vault Games lock-in sounded exciting, I've got good news for you. There's another one coming up at the Vault Games Clayfield location. That one is taking place on the 25th of November. So if you want a late night of gaming, that may be the place to go. And I may or may not turn up depending because I will also be at something else on the 25th of November in Brisbane. And that is the Vault Games Marvel Champions team-up events. I talk about this a fair bit. But if you have ever played Marvel Champions or if you haven't played Marvel Champions and want me to teach you and build you a deck, these big team-up events allow us to play the cooperative game that normally goes to four players, except we play it across four tables with 16 players where we all fight one massive villain. And uh, I've recently joined the team running the event along with the incredible Sally and Jason and Mickey who do such good work uh, making things that are really wild. Just before the lock-in this past Saturday, we ran our science fiction double feature event, which had Sally and I uh, dressed in our uh, finest Rocky Horror Picture Show outfits. Um, so, you know, all of that good stuff going on with huge twists in what villain we were fighting and stuff. So come along to those. And look, Jeff? Just, just before we wrap up, I just want to shout out somebody, and I, I've mentioned him before, uh, my good friend Michael. Michael's someone I met through Blood on the Clock Tower, and now we've become firm friends and play a lot of games together where he usually beats the pants off me. Uh, <laughs> I have managed to beat him once or twice, including last time we played at Apiary. Uh, Michael is an American citizen who sadly has to return to America. Uh, Michael, if you're listening in, 
mate, thanks for everything. I love you lots. Be safe. Yeah, you know, America, eh, be safe. <laughs> and uh, I hope you make it back here soon, mate, because it's been a real pleasure playing all kinds of games with you and usually acknowledging my loss pretty soon afterwards. Fingers crossed for that. Hey, if you want to keep up with Board of Games, we've, we are at Board of Games Pod on X slash Twitter. We're at Board of Games Podcast on Instagram. You can follow Board of Games on Facebook, where you'll also be able to catch the live stream for this show. And uh, the big place you can find us is at twitch.tv slash Board of Games Podcast. Those, uh, the Facebook and the Twitch are really good because you can see uh, the PowerPoint we put up where you can see all of the visuals for the games that are going on. And you can join in the conversation like all of the D and Paul did tonight where you can chat with us as we go and podcast. Uh, on top of yeah. that... There is one more thing to mention, of course, that if you like the other side of our lines, which is the graps, the wrestling, the wrestling. Uh, we... We will be uh, Thursday night. We're looking at New Pro's latest event, their Halloween, which uh, I'll get my eyes around tomorrow. And uh, also another date for that one is November 11th. Keep your eyes on twitch.tv slash Wrestle Radio Australia, where Jeff and I will be part of a 10-hour live stream that is going to kick our collective asses. That's going to be mm. an absolute blast. Um, make sure you keep up with us individually too. Jeff is at Jeff Setti on Twitter. I am at Lachlan Albert. Um, Jeff's also got his at wrestle underscore brain, sorry, Jeff underscore SETI. And uh, Jeff is also at wrestle underscore brainier. If you want to keep up with his fun old wrestle brainier stuff, that's there too. Once again, if you want to pick up any of the games we talk about, head on over to vaultgames.com.au slash board of games podcast. Cannot recommend vault games highly enough for all of your games and accessories. Anything else we got to mention there, Jeff? No, wonderful, wonderful time tonight. Thanks everyone for dropping in. Thanks for your comments, Paul, and all of the D. Always a pleasure, guys. Uh, you know, remember to follow us on Spotify or whatever podcast feed is your choice. But on behalf of Jeff Setti, I've been Lachlan Albert. Till next time, have a good one. The bloody and burgerous Sushiko chaos must wrap to pandemic K2. Noir ladies and gentlemen, sheriff of Nottingham, stinker redacted and coup. Restaurant 